you would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17 in the first verse. Acts chapter 17 in the first verse. At this point in the book of Acts, Paul has had a vision of a Macedonian begging him to come and help him. So he sails from Turkey over to the mainland of Greece, along with Silas and Luke and Timothy and maybe some others who aren't named. And they go places. They go to the major city of Philippi. There Paul and Silas are beaten and jailed. They pray and sing at the night. and An earthquake comes about. Uh, the jails are open. Their chains fall off. The jailer and his family uh, get saved. They believe and are baptized. Then they left Philippi and went on to a city called Thessalonica. We're going to consider today as we look at this passage from Thessalonica, what is the nature of faith? What is a false faith? What is a mature faith? You have a faith in God that will enable you to stand up under any and every circumstance. Isaiah in Isaiah 7.9 says, uh, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. At all. You have a faith in God that's grounded in solid and truth. <clears throat> so here in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, it says, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus." When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. I want to look at three words today from this passage as we consider this. One, Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, reasoned. He explained and he proved that the Christ must suffer and rise from the dead. Reasoned, explained, proof. Paul reasoned with him. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, God says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God says, Come and reason with me. I can forgive your sins. I can save you. A common phrase people use. might see it as a slogan somewhere. Uh, on a bumper sticker or a poster, whatever it might be, would be, just believe. Have you ever seen something like that? Just believe. <clears throat> That's great, but believe in what? Believe in what? 
Why should I believe? Yes, we are saved by the grace of God through faith alone, but faith is not something, some unknown, generic, undefinable, unreasonable thing. There's a common phrase people use even within the church. Blind faith. Blind faith. I have heard sincere people, sincere Christians, talking about the Christian faith as a blind faith. But the Bible never uses the phrase blind faith from cover to ending. It's not there. I would suggest to you today that blind faith is contrary to true faith. Paul reasoned with them because faith in God is reasonable. Is reasonable. Is it reasonable to look around the world and believe that the universe was created by God rather than something that just happened by time and chance? That there's intelligent design behind it? Isn't that reasonable? Is it reasonable to believe that there is a God? Is it reasonable that there is a powerful God who made the vast universe and is greater than the universe and is present everywhere in the universe? Is it not reasonable to understand that we cannot know Him by our own efforts and intelligence, but that He must reveal Himself to us? If God is so much greater than us, isn't it reasonable that He should make Himself known to us? That's what Romans chapter 1 says, that God has made Himself known to all people by what He has created, by His creation. But more so, He has revealed Himself to us. He has made Himself known to us over the years through various people and prophets as is recorded in the Bible. So Paul reasons with them from the Scriptures. From the Scriptures. And from the Scriptures, is it reasonable to look around our lives and our world and discover that people have a sin problem? Is that not reasonable? That there is evil in the world. That there is wickedness lodged in the hearts of people and of ourselves even. That reasonably matches what the Bible says. All of sin falls short of God's glory. There is none who are righteous. No, not one. Not one. Is it reasonable to believe that we need outside help? A Savior. That only God can fix the problem. Because He's great. Is it reasonable to believe that an Almighty God can make us in His image and He can save us from our sins through the cross and that He can raise the dead? Paul gave his defense and he got to talking about the resurrection of the dead and Festus said, oh, you're insane, man. You're crazy. And Paul says, no. What I'm talking about is reasonable. It's true and it's reasonable. But someone might say, well, you know, after the resurrection, Jesus said to Thomas, what? Touch my hand, my side. See that, you know, see that it's real. And he says, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And, but that's not blind faith. Just because we don't see, we believe what others have testified to. What others have seen, what others have experienced what is recorded in the Bible. 
I don't have to rely on some blind faith, but I can believe from what God has told us in the Bible. And in fact, too often, blind faith is really a, a sad term to describe wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Instead, we should believe what the Bible says about God's will, about His actions, about what God desires to do in your life. Now consider this, Peter walking on water. Now if anything, someone would say, surely that must have been just off a of blind faith, right? Because Peter, even though he's no Ph.D. expert in science, he knows you can't walk on water. He knows that. Everybody knows that. But was it blind faith, hoping that the laws of nature would be suspended because he unreasonably, blindly believes? No, Peter sees Jesus with his own eyes walking on the water. He had seen Jesus heal the blind and the lame and the lepers. And he had seen Jesus cast out demons. He had seen Jesus raise the dead. And right before this incident, he had seen Jesus multiply the five loaves and the two fish. He, he carried the basket around. He had tangible proof of what Jesus could do. And not just his eyes and his experience, but Peter gets a word. He asks him, if it's really you, command me to come out on the water. And Jesus' response is to come out. He's got Jesus' word to come out on the water. Jesus promised. Peter does not blindly get out of the boat, but has a reasonable faith to believe that at that moment, in that instance, he can walk on water just like Jesus is. Blind faith is a sad term to, to disguise wishful thinking. I knew a man years ago. He sincerely believed. He sincerely believed, but he blindly believed. He sincerely believed. He, 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 he had some braces and was partly crippled. He sincerely believed that if he went to Tulsa and got there with Oral Roberts, that he would be healed. And he went there believing, not doubting, but believing. And he came away not healed, just the same. And he said, well, I must not have faith. I thought I did. I believed, didn't I? I sincerely believed, but he blindly believed. And he gave up on his faith. He gave up on the church. Was his faith reasonable? Did it match up with Scripture? But somebody else might say, well, in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, says we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, that's not about believing blindly. The truth about that, it's not about seeing or being blind, but it's about trusting in God rather than in what He's revealed instead of trusting in our own wisdom and vision. <clears throat> Is it a reasonable faith to blindly believe that I can get up on top of a skyscraper and jump off, and if I believe hard enough, God will protect me. The Son of God didn't even think that. Or can I just sincerely believe that God will give me a hundred trillion dollars 
and sincerely believe that all will be saved or sincerely believe that all will be healed and healthy or sincerely believe that I can run a mile in 20 seconds or sincerely believe that by faith in God I can lift 100,000 pounds with my pinky. That's not a reasonable faith. Faith in God is reasonable. It's based on the truth of the Scriptures. It is not blind. Besides blind faith, some people would rely upon an emotional faith. An emotional faith. I had this experience. It felt great. I had a good feeling about this. My, my faith makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I believe because it feels right. That's a poor substitute for real faith. Moses' faith in God led him to a life of sacrifice and suffering, not warm fuzzies. Elijah's real faith, reasonable faith in a true God made him run for his life. Not sure whether the folks would catch up to him and kill him. Ask Job if, if you want to talk about does faith make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Job will tell you that it's not about a pleasurable, easygoing, emotional high, but he had trials and loss and suffering. John the Baptist was in prison. He was beheaded. The Son of God was punched, whipped, thorns pressed in his head, died on a cross. Paul lists off all his sufferings in 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, the truth is they didn't need an emotional, warm-feeling faith. They needed a solid, reasonable, true faith to help them through difficulties. Not an emotional, gooey feeling inside. What's the truth of the Bible? 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be positive. It's not going to be uh, an emotional high all the time. It says there's going to be troubles come your way. Faith in God is a reasonable faith strengthened by the knowledge of the Word. I thought of the other phrase people use, the faith of a child. You heard somebody say that before? Guy have the faith of a child. I, I looked... I looked again. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. This faith of a child kind of thing. When the Bible talks about children and Jesus talks about them in the Gospel, He says you must become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says you must receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child. He says you must humble yourself like a child if you want to get into the kingdom. It talks about humility and... Uh, more so than it does about faith. Humbling yourselves before God as children are humble. It's a misunderstanding, especially if you take faith of a child to think of something, a faith that's immature or ignorant, and that, that's a good thing. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. To be humble is a good thing, but to be immature and ignorant is not a good thing. Without fact, without truth, God did not save us to remain immature. He did not die on the cross so we could live our lives ignorant. He didn't rise from the dead so that we could be lazy. But to know what we believe, why we believe it, and demonstrate it in how we live and love others. Rather, as Peter writes in his first letter, 
chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason, the reason for the hope that you have. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. So Paul reasoned with them three Sabbaths, over three weeks, over three Sabbaths. He reasoned with them. In verse 3, he explained to them. The Greek word translated explain in the NIV was translated more literally in the King James Version. It basically means to open, to open, to open. When Jesus came across the deaf mute and he healed him, he put his fingers in his ears and he spat on his tongue and he said, Ephatha, be open. And the man was able to hear and to speak. That's one time it was used. The other times it's used are more pointed than that. After Jesus' resurrection on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears with them, walks with them, stops with them in Emmaus, sits down for a meal with them, and it says their eyes were opened in the breaking of the bread. And then Jesus vanished. And they thought, wow, let's head on back to Jerusalem. And they said, didn't our, didn't our hearts burn within us when He opened the Scriptures to us? Again, using the same word. And when they got back to Jerusalem and with the other disciples, and Jesus appeared to them that night of that first Easter, and it says that Jesus opened their hearts to understand the Scriptures. He opened their hearts to understand the Scriptures. The other time it's used is in the previous chapter in Acts chapter 16 back in Philippi where it says about Lydia, the worker with purple cloth, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul reasons and he explains to them. He opens Scripture to them in Thessalonica. And what happens? Some of them find their hearts open to believe. Many Gentiles do. God-fearing Gentiles. But some have their hearts closed and resist. And they get a mob together and try and have him uh, jailed or beaten or thrown out. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ who is the image of God. I would suggest to you there's not a blind faith, but there is a blind unbelief. There is a blind unbelief. The devil blinds people's hearts. And when you're with others, <clears throat> reason with them with your faith. Explain to them. Prove your faith to them. But realize at the end that it's up to God to open their hearts. Open their hearts to believe. And the third word we look at today that he uses, he reasoned with them explaining, opening, and proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. The Greek word translated proving is a, is a word that literally means to place before. To place before. And surprise, surprise, most of the times it's used in the, in the Bible, it has to do with food. Isn't that awesome? In the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples took the blessed fish and the bread and they placed it before the crowd. In the feeding of the 4,000, they took the blessed bread and fish and they placed it before the people in the crowd. In Acts 16, verse 34, 
when the jailer and his family were saved and baptized, what did he do? He placed some food before Paul. Same word used. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 27, when you're in the home of an unbeliever, eat, eat, eat whatever is placed before you. Whatever is placed before you. Jesus uses the same word to describe a couple of His parables. He placed His parables before the people to teach them. That the sower put some seed in a field and some wheat grew up with it. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, but grows into the largest of bushes. Jesus placed these parables before them. And it was used by Jesus on the cross when He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Into Your hands I place My Spirit before You. Same word there. So proving is like that. To prove something is this, I'm going to spread it out before you. The Scriptures, the arguments, the reasons for the truth of God. It's like a banquet. It's like a meal to be feasted on or to get up and walk away from it. Say, I'm not hungry today. As I prepare each sermon for each Sunday, these are the things that cross my mind. To have reasons presented before you. To have a reasonable faith set before you. To be in prayer asking God, even as, as Patrick did in his prayer, to open hearts, to hear, to believe it. And then I'm going to pray, place it before you. I'm going to spread it out in front of you. That's what I do as a pastor. For you who teach in Sunday school, Bible club, youth group, women's thing, same thing. How, how can I make this reasonable to give reasons why we believe that people might grow and mature in their faith? I need to be in prayer to ask God to open their hearts as I place it before them that they might believe and be saved. Whether it comes to everyone with your home devotions, the daily devotions at home, to have the same attitude. We, we pray together. We read the Scripture. How is this reasonable? Why do I believe this? What, what resonates with me? What draws me to obey it and to live it? To be in prayer for your family. To open their hearts and minds. To understand it. To offer proof. To place before others your own faith in Jesus Christ. Every time you have an opportunity to witness, someone calls you to account for the hope that you have. You do it with gentleness and reverence. Every time you have an opportunity, every time you find an opportunity to bring up faith in Jesus Christ, to have that same attitude. <clears throat> what can I say? Not to just say, hey, you just need to believe it. Don't worry. Don't question. No. To place it out the reasons that it is true, that it is right before them. To be in prayer for those you know who are not saved, whether your family or relatives or neighbors or friends that you have. To be in prayer that God would open their hearts to believe and to spread it out before them. To place it before them. Do not rest in a blind faith. Do not be satisfied with an emotional faith. 
Do not stop and quit with an immature, ignorant faith. God has made Himself known. Believe in Him. Trust Him. Live it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You, Lord, for the power and truth of Your Word that it never fails. Father, I just ask that You'd put upon our hearts to not stop where we are in our walk with You, but to keep on walking and growing to stand firm in our faith, knowing why we believe, what we believe, the reasons we believe. Lord, help us always be concerned for those around us that You would open their hearts to believe. And Lord, help us to be found faithful in preparing and spreading out and offering a, a great feast of forgiveness, of Your love, of salvation, of eternal life. We'll give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.